they go like, oh my God, that's so sad. You're going to lose your baby or, you know, you work so hard and aga aga. So, but that's how it prepares me to be brave to do things. But having said that, you should always go into something with a healthy dose of fear. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. I'm your host, Castle Lin. In this podcast, I sit down with Southeast Asia's leaders, entrepreneurs, and content creators in the FMB space. This is where you will learn about their trade secrets, or maybe you'll just find them as your next door neighbor. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodies who want to connect to the world through food, they curate the best spots to eat and drink in Malaysia, Bangkok, and Singapore. Check them out on Instagram for more. My guest today is like the best friend you rarely talk to because she's busy searching the world to satisfy her hunger for knowledge and adventure. Yet, when you call, you feel like you've never missed a chapter in her life. Basira Yusuf is a Malaysian chef and the founder of Aga Aga Soul, a 28-diner Malaysian restaurant sandwiched between a bar and a barber in Yongnamdong, Seoul that brings Malaysian food to the land of K-pop and K-drama. Her motto in life, rational YOLO, which simply means you only live once, live responsibly, and don't fear rejection. One of the things I remember the most is we used to like, um, we celebrate the holidays a lot and there's a lot of families, a lot of aunties. Yeah. So we used to do this thing where we would take turns hosting mm-hmm. the festivities. So my house, we'd have Christmas and then, like, an auntie would have Chinese New Year. Another right. auntie would do Dipavali. Mm-hmm. Another would do Raya, Raya Haji. So that's how many of us there are. Yeah. So I think one of my yeah, earliest memories of, like, cooking or having anything to do with food is, I guess, when we would go to each other's houses and bring, like, potluck or, like, um, food from, like, tapau or whatever. Yeah. So I'd help untapau things, put it on plates or... Help heat up things and all. Yeah. So I get pretty comfortable in the kitchen. Way more comfortable than if I were outside in the living room, in the living room where the party is. Um, so I think that's one of my earliest memories in the kitchen per se. So you said like you had a big family. Do you think you are an introvert or an extrovert or you're just an introvert who's comfortable in the kitchen? The second and the third. I'm definitely an introvert. Yeah. Um, definitely more comfortable in the kitchen. Not to say I cannot perform, but when I do come out and go hoo-ha and host and stuff, I will need a lot of time to recharge. So do you say like cooking play a big part in your life? It does. It does. The thing is with cooking, why I was drawn to it initially from the get-go until to this day, mm-hmm. is how much it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's like if I wasn't cooking, I'd do bricklaying, something like that. It makes sense to me. A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. C tastes good and makes other people happy. And me likewise. It yeah. makes sense. Like my sister, I don't even know what she does. She works in an office, something oh, <laughs> financial no, related. I know okay. she Yes. Yes. So like so like accountants and stuff. Yeah. I feel like I don't think I can do that. Mm-hmm. I'm very simple. I like how things work out after something is done. Therefore, end product. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So cooking. So you did like that to see like you putting your hands into something and you see the results of it. And that result makes you happy and makes other people happy. 
And where did you go to school for culinary training? Initially, I went to KDU College. Mm -hmm. I think it has had a rebranding, a change of name a few times since I've been there. So that's how long ago I was there. Uh, Yes. Yes. And then I went to Switzerland to complete my degree. So I did degree in culinary management. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, you did your degree in Switzerland and undertook your apprenticeship in Germany under a two Michelin star restaurant. What would you say you learned from these countries and from these experiences? I guess it's with any job when you do when you join another team. Yeah, it's more like learning from their work culture, learning from the people, learning from the geographic mm-hmm. uh, location, what ingredients they have and how they work. And I don't think it is that much different from country to country right it's more like from kitchen to kitchen office to office everybody has their own work culture and how they do things Mm -hmm. so that to me is I guess the most interesting thing when I go and work in other people's kitchens Mm -hmm. or countries that is the most interesting thing to me and your first project was it root sellers back in 2015 ah so actually before root seller came about I used to do sandwich pop-ups. And even before that was a cake thing. Oh, yeah. okay. So the cake thing was called yay cake. Mm-hmm. And then the sandwiches were called yay sandwich. <laughs> Not very professional sounding names. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the sandwich thing kind of picked up steam. And then we had customers, we had clients asking us to uh, cater for events, office events, Christmas events. And we even had a, like a wedding thing, like a pre-wedding cocktail thing. And I felt like, we needed a more professional sounding name. Yay mm-hmm. Sandwich sounded a bit weird if I were to do wedding catering. Mm-hmm. So Root Seller actually came about due to a rebranding. Okay. So it's like a combo of both, yeah, both of the earlier companies, the cake and the sandwich company. And then, I don't know, it kind of gave a broader spectrum of the things that we could do. And by we, I mean I. <laughs> I was a solo one-man show back then. Had cousins and family members who come in on gig basis, per gig basis. But yeah, that's how Root Seller came about. And when did you know that Root Sellers was independent enough that you could just leave it and travel the world to let it run on its own? Never. It never happened. (laughs) Root Seller was very hands-on for me. Mm. So whenever I did travel, like for the first time, I came to Korea to kind of do a bit of like a recce mission. Yeah. I left knowing that I would be back within a week. I left knowing that we had, at this time I had a team. Yeah. So I left knowing that we had uh, gigs lined up, mm-hmm. menus settled, payments all done and good. And I could still do things remotely. Should things pop up or happen, whatever, I was still there, you know, in technology. Yeah. So I like doing things like that. I like my timeline planning. I like I like having things in order before I pop off to do my own thing. So initially when I came to do my recce mission here to Seoul, a week's worth, I had things lined up. So it wasn't to say it was independent, mm-hmm. but it was a semi-well-oiled machine that could run on its own. I can't wait uh, for our listeners to hear about how you ended up in Seoul with Agaga. Um, but before that, I want to ask, like, what makes you want to travel so much? Like, what's your favorite part about it? I think 
I mean, no more special than other people who like to do that. I think it's more like um, discovering new things mm. and experiencing new things. And I kind of like a glutton for punishment when it comes to comfort. I like being uncomfortable. Wow. So I like being unsure of situations. I like awkward situations. Wow. Okay. So you like Social uncertainty. That is so, awkward. it's not that it's rare, but yeah. most people want things planned out, want certainty. Correct. Yes. Right. And I come, I'm very close to my sister and she's that person and I'm the total opposite. Uh-huh. Almost at times I feel like I'm trying to fight that bit just because. Okay. No, for no other reason. Okay. So one of the, yeah, for no other reason. So I'm sorry, I forgot the question. Why do I like traveling? Yes. I think I like the uncertainty. The I like to use this term, rational YOLO. Okay. That I have uh, coined and uh, proudly often use. <laughs> Rational YOLO. I think things through, but also to a certain extent, I know that life is short and I'm, I don't have a, I mean, I'm not married. I don't have, a, <laughs> I mean, YOLO, go for it. But nothing too stupid or over the edge. Do proper research, da-dun, 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 and then go piss in the wind. Like YOLO responsibly, that's the keyword. <laughs> YOLO responsibly. <laughs> Okay. okay, YOLO rationally. Okay, you hear Friends. her, girl? Okay. So Enjoy. tell us the story, how you ended up being in Seoul. Like what happened to this Reki and Let's now you're just this. there permanently. Let's do this. So Reki mission happened uh, New Year's Eve 2018. Or New Year's 2018, I was there. So I was there for, I was there, I was here for a week. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like the vibe and I kind of, again, I like the unfamiliarity. A lot of ingredients, a lot of food. I had no idea about. I had, I done not much research, and I was quite shocked at how much I did not know about Korean culture, Korean food, Korean food techniques. I was shocked that I was so unknowledgeable about this part. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like pushing me to learn more and stuff. So when I got back to KL, spoke with my team and stuff, and. I felt like I needed to learn more. I had never done South, uh, I had never done East Asia before. Uh-huh. I had done Europe, I had done Singapore, and it was between Japan and Korea, but Korea had cheaper flight tickets. Mm-hmm. So, Korea so it could have been Japan now. <laughs> it could have been Japan, guys. I could be zooming with you through in Japan. Uh-huh. Anyways, so, so was it. So it took me another eight months. So before that, in August, before I really left, um, I sent out a bunch of CVs. So the mission guide had just arrived the year prior. Yeah. And I was curious what the kitchen culture, what the food culture was like here. And uh, I'm comfortable with the fine dining scenes. I thought mm-hmm. I'd go through there first before going deeper into like kimchi making and adjunct the more cultural things. Yeah. So I, rational YOLO. I sent out a bunch of portfolio CVs randomly to a bunch of fine dining restaurants in Seoul who had just received stars that year. And I think out of the 10, 11 I sent out, one came back to me. Mm-hmm. And this chef, Ijun of Swanee, he did modern modern Korean cuisine. Uh-huh. So he, he, did, uh, he did a riff off of like um, French techniques. He used to work in per se. So he riffed off like techniques that he learned in the US of classically French things and then combined it with um, 
Korean nuances, Korean uh, techniques also, and ingredients, of course. And that is, it spoke very dearly to me and what I do in Malaysia. So I was very thankful that he came back to me. And oh. later on, I realized why a lot of them didn't come back was because of the language barrier. Uh-huh. So that's, yeah, I think that's something that not a lot of us, like in, we speak several languages where we are, which we're very lucky. Yeah, That's something that only occurred to me when I was there working in the kitchens. Language is such a big barrier. So most of these places never got back to me was because they feared they couldn't impart much knowledge because of the language barrier. Mm. Thankfully, this guy, this chef, Ijun, he worked in the US and he went to school in the US. So he felt confident. So answered my uh, email saying he'd love to have me over to like be a guest, you know, yeah. learn from the team and work with the team. And so in August, I had a team now in Kuala Lumpur, in KL. So I took my leave. I asked for permission. Really, I asked for permission. Can I go? I need to, you know, broaden my horizons. And very, very grateful of how uh, supportive they were. Mm. And I left in August. And worked in Suwane, this modern Korean restaurant, for three months. And then the next venture was opening up the next own venture happened. How did that happen? Yes. So, I know. There is no rhyme or reason to how that happened. So, I was a, like um, an apprentice in Suwane for three months. And I knew it was like a short stint. Yeah. Three months of seeing how things go, it might extend to six months. Mm-hmm. So my team knows this, I know this. So daily we check-ins and make sure orders are in order, you know, order we have gigs lined up. All good, well and good. And then, so at the end of three months, I think I was coming to the end of my second month, I was preparing to leave Seoul, of course. And I thought before I left, I wanted to do like a pop-up, you know, what I'm specialized in, yes. in KL. Back to sandwiches, so cakes. Yeah, cakes. But more like, uh, since we're in Seoul, right? I wanted to do like a pop-up, like a dinner pop-up. Three nights, like before I literally fly off, wow. do satay and like nasi lemak. Just bringing the like, Malaysian you know, food and culture to the Malaysian vibe. You know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Freak them out a bit and then just bugger off and never to be seen again <laughs> by the folks. So, <laughs> uh-huh. so that was the, that was the plan. Mm-hmm. Typical millennial... Uh, me, I googled for an available space to do this pop-up thing. Mm-hmm. Typical. So googled and this place popped up. And it was a company called Local Stitch. And they had this beautiful uh, open-air rooftop kitchen with a grill and everything in an open kitchen. And I thought that'd be amazing, mm-hmm. you know. Even if nobody shows up, me and my bunch of Malaysian friends who... Two friends were already planning to come over kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, we'd just come over and do this thing and then again, pop off. So, sent an email. That night itself, received an, a response saying, yo, would you like to come by tomorrow for a meeting to look at the place? And just what happened, the next day was my off day from Swanee. And being the introvert me, I was like, ah, damn it, why did they answer so soon? I wanted <laughs> to sleep in tomorrow and not shower. Okay. And you know, and recharge and Damn meet it. people again. But I was like, recharge and meet people again. But the rational YOLO part kicked in. And I thought like, what's the harm? Just mm-hmm. go. Yeah. It's probably going to cost 
a bomb, an arm and a leg. But you know, at least you know to find out what it's like. You know, know. Um, got up early the next day, took a shower, unfortunately, and headed to the meeting. And we were talking, and then the CEO just happened to pass. I, he wasn't he wasn't there during the meeting, so I was speaking to a bunch of team members that could speak English. And then the CEO passed by the meeting room, and then he clapped in his head and said, "I saw you on YouTube." And I was like, "I'm sorry if it was awkward." And he was like, "No, yes, yes." It's like <laughs> the good like, sign, like good English, yeah. Broken, yeah. Like, good. Signs. Okay, hey, I'm still sorry. You had to watch that. I didn't know which video he watched. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the gist was that oh. So I am a legit chef. Like, yeah, legit. I can cook. <laughs> Korean like, approved. Yeah, yeah. We checked out your Facebook. Yeah, Korean approved by this company alone. Uh-huh. Yeah, we checked you on Instagram. We found you on YouTube. I was like, oh my god, oh my god. I hope that's not a bad thing. And then they were like, oh, okay. Do you have time? Do you want to go for a walk with us? Grab a coffee. I'm like, well, now we're going to go look at the kitchen. God damn it! <laughs> but <laughs> uh-huh. instead of going up to the rooftop, we went downstairs, uh-huh. and I was like, what's happening? But you know. Rational YOLO, so I just went along. And we took like a 15-minute walk, talking about things, discussing like, I don't know, like the Korean culture, food. Again, yeah. simple, normal things. Right. And then we come up to this building that was under uh, construction. And then the manager pointed to it and said, do you want to open something with us here? And that's literally how, yeah. It was so weird. I was, like, I was having goosebumps. Also, I was trying to make sure nobody. there's no like breakdown in communication here. There's no language <laughs> barrier. I mean, how bad one open shop here? How bad could that have gone wrong, right? right? right, right. So okay. this is like a quick, yeah, mm. quick like half millisecond thing going on in my head going, Ugh. That was Basira you're listening to Foodie Canteen. When we come back, we talk about how to know if you have made the right decision at a crossroad, and how she brought some Malaysian colour and flavour into a monocultural Korean scene. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodies who want to connect to the world through food, that's where you go. Find Penang Foodie, KL Foodie, Halal Foodie, Singapore Foodie and Bangkok Foodie on Instagram. They curate the best spots to eat and drink in these cities. You already have this goal in your mind. Um, have this amazing three-day blooming pop-up and poof, disappear, go back to Malaysia, do what I do best, my team's waiting for me. How did you go from there to like, you know what, this Korean's trying to communicate this minimal English with me, asking me to open a shop, and here you are with Aga Aga, years in, and you are talking to me from Korea. Like, how, how do you decide? Like, how do you know if it's right? She's smiling for those who's not watching on YouTube. Don't, I want to say up, up, <laughs> up to maybe, I don't know, up to maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was the right, right plan or right, right yeah. action, course of action. But in life, how how can you be sure of anything? Can we go deep? Oh, We're going to philosophical yes. right now. Our listeners so need that, this. This is where the... Because I think a lot of yes, our listeners yes, who's yes. listening to this, like they are at the age where, I mean, at any age you are having, you always have this decision crossroad. And you're like, is it right? Is it good? Is it for me? Uh, what are the pros and cons? And then your emotions get affected. The pros and cons list don't really work. Like, how do you know? And I think, like you, you said, sometimes you don't know until two years in. You're like, mm, maybe that's right. Yeah. 
And I think it there's no one size fits all uh, decision for anything, for anything, even for what you want to eat for lunch. There is no one, you know, decision. So the thing is, I feel like you have to go into it with a uh, a mindset where you are okay if it fails. Up to maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was prepared to lose Aga Aga Sol tomorrow. So uh, when I, uh, when I express this this concept to friends or whoever who's asking me, they go like, "Oh my god, that's so sad! You're gonna lose your baby, or you know, you work so hard and Aga Aga Sol." But that's how it prepares me to be brave to do things. But having said that you should always go into something with a healthy dose of fear. I do not trust people who go gung-ho into things going, I have 100%, you know, confidence. I can do this. This is going to be a success, guys. Malaysian food is number one. I wouldn't 100% trust you, really. Mm. So I think like uh, that questioning, that constantly going, am I doing the right thing? Uh, my pros and cons list keeps growing even as I'm doing this thing that I've decided to do. I think it's a very healthy concept to constantly question yourself, constantly make sure you're on the right track. You have, you're answerable to a lot of things, not Mm. only to yourself. Like I have partners now. Yeah. So I'm answerable to my partners. I'm answerable to my part-timers. I'm answerable to uh, customers who are already familiar with my food for this past two and a half years. So the thing is, I constantly question myself whether I'm doing the right thing, whether I did the right, whether I did the right decision. And uh, I think it's healthy to not be sure, to not be a hundred percent confident in the choices that you make. It's really healthy, I think. And what were or what are the qualities of Malaysian food or culture you wanted to, the Koreans to experience? The Malaysian culture as a whole. It's such yeah. an exotic concept here. Mm. So I don't like that word, but it's such a foreign concept, Malaysian food, Malaysian culture, because it's so monocultural here. Everything is this or that. So um, Korean food is so-and-so, and then American food is burgers. Italian food is spaghetti, mm-hmm. pasta. Yeah. Uh, Indian food is curry. And then, so when I first introduced my team, we haven't started having customers over yet. So just to my team, to the my partners, I was serving roti canai. We had roti canai then. Roti canai and curry, but on the table, we had Chinese um, chopsticks. Yeah. And we were using, you know, the, the bowls, the Chinese bowls with the chicken on it uh-huh, and stuff. Yeah. It was very, um, uh, it had a Chinese feel to people who are not familiar mm-hmm. with how multicultural we are and how we use our China where yeah. uh, so there was a bit of a discourse there people were saying like oh people are going to get confused with this concept you know uh, they're not going to like the fact that you know they're eating in Indian food with chopsticks Chinese looking I'm like you know this is what Malaysia is we're multicultural and this is what I wanted to come across wow, mostly because yeah. the thing is Southeast Asian culture Southeast Asian food only started to like really come to the market here 20 years ago oh god 80s 80s 90s mm-hmm. and it started with Vietnamese food fur. so since then there hasn't been proper representation of Southeast Asian culture and food here and I can I've just gone into my third year here and I can 
confidently say there's a lot of gross stereotyping that happens when they think of Southeast Asian food or culture. And it's of no fault of their own because nobody came in to educate. Nobody came in to right wrongs. Yeah. And I feel like when I started Aga Aga, so there was two things I had to weigh out. Do I listen to my Korean partners who knew nothing better and thought like, we should put, you know, bate and orang utans and use only bamboo cutleries, you know, mm. to show your Southeast Asian-ness, Basira, yeah. you know. And I'm going, oh, damn it. Or do I stay true to what I want and I can answer to myself and I can sleep at night knowing that I'm happy with what I'm trying to represent Malaysia right, as. Right, And not fit and into I the stereotypes. Okay. Not fit into a stereotype because like, why? I can start fresh. I'm a fresh slate. There was only at that time two other Malaysian restaurants. Yeah. And I thought like, this is the time. If I wanted to, you know, do something for Malaysia, I thought, too deep. if I wanted to do something that... <laughs> You're like, Ugh. do something that I'd be proud of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something, oh my God. Mm. Um, but yes, do something that I'd be proud of, mm. you know, that my friends would be proud of, my Malaysian friends would be proud of. I had to stick to my guns and that was one of the first things that I made sure I stuck to. Number one, I do not conform to Koreanness. I do not serve kimchi. I do not serve pickles at the table. Mm-hmm. I do not serve sriracha. I do not do things that would typically fall into a stereotype of a Southeast Asian restaurant in mm. Korea. Yeah. So I went with the way that I'm comfortable with. So even though like or some people will go like, oh, your sambal is not spicy enough, you know, uh, Malaysians will go, sambal is not spicy enough, the ones that I eat at home in my warung or my mom's house is spicier. Then I go like, yeah, but my family doesn't eat super spicy. Okay. And this is how I cook or my family cooks at home and mm-hmm. I cook from the heart and this is what I want to eat. Yes. Therefore, it's not to say it's bad or not legit or inauthentic. It's mm-hmm. mine. It's your story. So that's one of it's my story. It's um and it's not a bad story, let's be honest. You know, it's just that not as spicy as how you would like it to be. So that's one of the first rules I set for myself. I do not conform to local talent. If there is a certain menu that is not famous or doesn't quite sink into the local um like um, preference I just simply take it off the menu mm. so initially there was like 10 items on the menu so just as an example and chakwetia was one of the items on the yeah. menu and the initial response was that it was too Chinese feeling and too normal so they didn't feel like it was like enough to market as a Malaysian dish mm-hmm. so I said fine cool because we're not going to make much money on that and we'd be a lot of um, wastage Took it off the menu. So a year later, when I was I gained enough traction and people like trusted me, I brought it back and it's now one of our most fav- famous items on the menu. Wow. So it's a, yeah. it's how you run your show as a businesswoman. Like you are telling your story, but we also need to think about your customer's reaction and the right timing and the food and the business part and making money part. It's like Entrepreneurship in a nutshell. Exactly. So it's, you're not, entrepreneurship in a nutshell. And you're happy with what you do because you did not conform and you did not, you know, bend over backwards Mm. for anything per se. Just take it off. Nobody likes it. Bring it back later and test the waters then. 
And what are some of the challenges you faced so far in like two years of opening a restaurant and running it? The tangible issues are like Corona. Mm, so yeah. already as it is, our ingredients are so hard to come by and it's so expensive. Galangal, lemongrass. The price for galangal and lemongrass and pandan, which is unheard of, fresh pandan is unheard of here, is on par with caviar. So when, when I get, I know. Well, I mean, so galangal is like fine dining so, there. Exactly. Okay. I mean, banana leaf, like you can kind of steal or borrow from your neighbors <laughs> next door or from uh-huh. the surau, you know, yeah, you just yeah, say yeah. thank you and you take from the store for free. Mm. It's 44 ringgit to 800 grams here. And it's frozen, my friend. Therefore, it doesn't bend very well. So, it, it's, <laughs> so it's those kind of things, mm. the tangible ones. And then, of course, trying to appeal to the local market, trying to appeal to the Malaysian market. Um, Tangible. And the intangible part is again like trying to educate on culture, trying to stand your ground when somebody says, Oh, chef, you should do, you know, the original noodles when you make your laksa. I'm going, What do you mean, original noodles? We make a nyonya laksa yeah. and we use yellow wheat noodles. Yes. And they have a very good, like, pretty legit one here that they use for the. And then we'd have Koreans or whatever going like, oh, you should use, you know, the original ones that you use in Malaysia. I'm like, oh, pray tell. What do we use in Malaysia? <laughs> pray tell. I too would like to know this. Please educate me. And the response is uh, rice noodles like they use in pho. Yeah, because that's all you they so, know, like you said before. That's all they know, yes. exactly. So, and then we have people coming in and say, where's your pho? You know, your Southeast Asian restaurant. How come we don't have a broth, a soupy broth with mm. rice noodles? Yeah. So... These are all un- intangible things that I cannot even get angry at. It's because of a lack of, I guess... Experience. Uh, I wouldn't say education, but... Experience. Experience. Well, it's yeah. not education yeah. at all. It's yeah. experience, yeah. Mm-hmm. We are so lucky that we come from a culture that... I wouldn't even say we think out of the box. There is no box. The box never had a cover. <laughs> when we were born, we were born into a culture yeah. that just was like, you know, everybody's like living together. was happy, you know. Mm. Everything's just mashed up together. Over here, there's a box that initially needs to be opened, or they need to realize it's a box, needs to be opened, and then they have to think outside of it. So it's a whole, it's a cultural thing, really. And uh, so that's the intangible things that I, to this day we still face. To this day, it it gets on your goat quite a bit when you're tired and stuff. But then when you look back at it, it's kind of cute. It's kind of, it's your it's your time to shine and educate and you know hopefully more people will want to in turn learn about your culture our culture and and what's your favorite part about the Korean culture I like how comfortable it is it's got a right amount of um, humanity Mm. and uh, technology how do I say this so buses and trains and everything runs on time. Technology is awesome. Blah. But then you still have, you know, trash on the streets. No, serious, you know, there's still trash on the street. There's still a sewer smell. You know, you go to the pasa mm. and, you know, you'll have RGCs and Ajimas there cursing each other out and they're spitting on the side of the road. Pre-corona days. Lah, guys. Okay? Right, no okay. spitting during corona times. <laughs> okay. But I like, I like how it's very Malaysia-like, you know, but slightly more fast-forwarded. Like, okay. With the technology and with the, you know, 
Yeah. yeah. I like that. I'm constantly amused. So that's fun. I mean, do you have any advice for listeners who are looking to venture to Seoul or just any other city outside of Malaysia uh, to maybe get a job or start a business like you? I think, again, it goes back to the there's not one size fits all mm. kind of thing. But I think the biggest thing is to rational YOLO. Seriously. A lot of, so a lot of my part-timers are agak-agak um, bangsa agak-agak bangsa before we did like an yeah. apprenticeship uh-huh. like we we tried to guide like students or youth yeah. into the F&B industry or whatever and I would listen because we'd work together side by side you know working in the kitchen you kind of grow close even though you don't want to Yeah. and one of the biggest fears or one of the biggest things on top of their minds is the fear of rejection or oh, chef what if I send out these CVs and they don't get back to me who bloody cares? Who's hurting your feeling by not answering you? And if your feelings are hurt by not being answered, dude, let's work on that, okay? <laughs> the fear of, I don't know, I mean, we see a lot of memes and Facebook posts about like, if you don't open a door, you don't know if there's anything behind. You know, we see a lot of stuff. I don't have Facebook anymore, so I don't know what that looks like. But, you know, mm. rational YOLO. So you go like, oh, but I fear, what if I don't make it if I go to a social place, what if I fail? What if you do? What if you do? It's like going to school, but fast forward, you get to learn things, what you should or shouldn't do. You lose money. What if I lose money? So what? You would still lose money living that life anywhere wow. with yeah. a challenge or without a challenge. Yeah. So rational YOLO, fear is good. Never fear fear. Questioning yourself is good, but don't overdo it that it disables you. But I think just just do it. Send out that CV that you've always wanted to phone that influencer that you've always wanted to do an interview with or I don't know, travel to that country that you've always wanted to experience. It's just do, oh my God, you know. Fear cripples, but don't let it get to that point. And finally, where is Aga Aga now and what's next? Um... Initially, when Agaga started, I can say it was a hustle. Mm. And then when Corona started, I think it was more like a, a huddling down and just trying to survive, like just to make it through this time. And I'm glad to say two and a half years on, I think we're kind of on cruise control. So I'm comfortable with my staff. I'm comfortable with my menu. I'm comfortable with myself as a chef here, what I'm representing with Aga Aga and myself. So we're on cruise control, which is a very nice place to be. Basira, thank you so much for coming on the show and just being yourself, sharing your story. Um, We Malaysians are so happy for you just um, listening to where you're at right now in life and your advice, rational YOLO, right? That's the word. I'm going rational to YOLO. I'm going to print these shirts, guys. Oh, yes. yes. Like rational YOLO dash Basira. Rational YOLO. <laughs> 2022. Basira, that's right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, everybody's so getting for Christmas. <laughs> you have just listened to Basira's story on Foodie Canteen. This show is produced by me, your host, Castle Lim, and written by Sulin Chang. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the excellent team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook and also YouTube at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening.